श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए और भक्त वृंद की जाए को प्रेम आनंद Bhakti means love, so why we should love, I don't know if I have anything to say about that. Uh, as love knows no reason, it's said. But uh, it's a good topic nonetheless for the bhakti, is it yoga club? So it's not just bhakti, or well it is just bhakti, but bhakti yoga. So it's love, and yoga of course is the uh, the... In the general sense, the, the wisdom path of the East. So, there could be some good reason why we should love wisely, hmm? Hmm? rather than unwisely. Of course, we even learn about that psychologically speaking. But uh, I want to try to take it to another level. In other words, well, we know we should know that the more needy we are, the less. Of the position we are in to actually enter into a meaningful and enduring, loving relationship, since loving is about giving. Hmm? Uh, so I'll refer, if I may, a little bit to the Bhagavad Gita, which some of you may be familiar with, one of the most uh, well-known sacred texts of the East, where the path of loving is uh, is. Um, centered, really. The text is centered on that. It does speak about other paths as well, but um, really, under careful uh, study or under scrutiny, it becomes apparent that the extent to which the Gita speaks of other paths other than bhakti or the path of wise love, um, it does so only for the sake of indirectly shedding light on the virtues and the efficacy of bhakti itself, so it moves kind of in a way in which it speaks anvayadi taratha, like its sequel, the Bhagavad, um, uh, directly and indirectly. Hmm? So, uh, uh, and it's a popular and, and pretty well-known book, as uh, you mentioned. I did a, uh, an, an, a commentary on a translation and commentary. Hmm? So, uh, obviously, uh, here we are speaking in a circle in which it, I think, is for the most part assumed that there is something more than matter. Hmm? Something matters, in other words. (laughs) Because (laughs) without that something more than nothing matters and there's, there's no one to matter about matter, so to speak. Um, so while it's true that the Gita speaks um, in strong language uh, when it says that prakritikriyamani gunai karmani sarvasa, to give it a modern rendering, it said that um, we think that we are the doers of things that the brain alone does. 
This is a popular idea in uh, philosophy of mind, or perhaps in in, uh, in neuroscience to some extent as well. Um, uh, schools in which there is a search for um, a self, hmm? not too really much of a search for a self, but a search and more for demonstrating that the self is illusory. That um, there's there's no um, the lights are on, but nobody's home would be a way of speaking about it. There is a popular well, there are maybe some hundred and some things that are listed as questions that science has not answered, as if all the others have been answered. <laughs> but uh, at, the, at the top of the list is, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? Hmm. And you can see how just unscientific, in the full sense of the term, that question is, because it has within it a bias built into it. The question should be, is there a biological makeup to consciousness, to which the Gita and the sacred texts of the East answer, no. Hmm. Life is not biological. There is a biological cycle, hmm. but life existence, experiential existence, first-person experiential existence, is not tied to the biological idea of life. It's not confined, that is to say, by time and space. Consciousness is something that it's very difficult to define. It, I think the American Dictionary of Psychology says something like, in order to define consciousness, it's required that we understand consciousness, something that's very circular, kind of a uh, difficult to, uh, to to define. It's difficult to, f- to define because... Why? Because consciousness is subjective hmm? and all of our definitions are of things that are of the objective world. Hmm? So to objectify the subjective is very difficult, if possible, at all. Hmm? And indeed, how can <laughs> how can consciousness, this subjective reality, hmm, be objectified or let's say reduced to to matter? How can we even talk about or conceive of the idea of doing that? Hmm? Consciousness, as you can see, is is, is primary. It uh, it said a long, long time ago by Adi Shankar. Hmm? Um, and, of course, he's simply echoing and accurately, in this sense, the words of the, uh, of the Upanishads, that uh, reality is that which cannot be denied. Hmm? It means to say that uh, we can deny the ultimacy of all things that in common English parlance are here today and gone tomorrow. Hmm? But we cannot deny that which is required for the act of denial. Hmm? That is consciousness. Hmm? Cannot, so it's very... Uh, uh, Sam Harris, you may know, he's a popular 
atheist with some doubts, I think. Um, <laughs> that aren't popular in his circle, but he, they show up every now and then. He said uh, recently that we can say hmm, that, um, that, um, that, that consciousness is, is, is part of the objective world. We can say a lot of things. We can say that one, two and two is seven. We can say that square things fit in round holes. But um, saying it is one thing. Hmm? Conceiving of it, practicing it, demonstrating it is another thing. Hmm? Um, Susan Blackmore, who's also famous, she's in the field of psychology, but famous for her books on unconsciousness, made a statement that um, 90% of the people in the world are dualists, which means to say that 90% of the people, knowingly or unknowingly, act as if there's a difference between consciousness and matter, and that consciousness is causal. Hmm? I conjure up something, a conscious thought, and then I carry it out and I do it. And she was, of course, making the case for the other wise 10% that didn't, weren't in under, under that illusion. Hmm? And I replied to her in a note that I think that, Susan, that 100% of the people are dualists. Hmm? Because actions speak louder than words. And you yourself act in that way. And no one can act otherwise. Hmm? We can say there's no self. We can say that we cannot prove the existence of ourself, but that doesn't stop us from getting up every morning. Hmm? We believe that we exist. We act as if we exist. We act as if we think consciously, and then we, our body carries out the, the actions. Hmm? The fact that we can't demonstrate it in a laboratory doesn't make it any less true. There are maybe a lot of things that cannot be demonstrated in a laboratory. Hmm? As I said, neuroscience and philosophy of mind is trying to find the self or dismiss the self. They can't find the self that the Gita says is there that is not the brain. While admitting that the brain does many of the things that we think we are doing, hmm? the Gita goes on to say, but you're not a brain also. Hmm? So we may look for that brain or that self hmm? that's not the brain, but we don't find it hmm? in science. We may not find it in, in philosophy that today philosophy has to be informed by, by science to have credibility and empirical evidence and so forth. Hmm? Reasoning in relation to uh, data. Hmm? Um, so they can't find it. But um, there's a Sanskrit word you may be familiar with, uh, two syllables that says a lot, maya. Maya means illusion, but maya also means to measure. Hmm? So, you see, how can a ruler measure itself? Do you understand me? Hmm? Consciousness is the measurer, that which gives value and posits meaning. Hmm? in the objective world. As I said, as I said earlier, if matter, or something along these lines, if matter mattered, independently of consciousness, who would know about it? And who would care? The caring. Hmm? 
and the positing of value and meaning. Hmm? You see, consciousness is qualitative, it's subjective, it's about meaning, value. Hmm? It's the measurer, do you understand? Hmm? And, and it's immeasurable. Hmm? It's, in our case, immeasurably small. Maybe that's another reason why it cannot be found. <laughs> immeasurably small. Hmm? But it comes from the from source, the idea is in the Gita, that's immeasurably large. Hmm? That's uh, everywhere to be seen by the proper approach. And the approach recommended in the Gita, hmm, as I said, is a loving approach. Hmm? Grover Cleveland said a long time ago that if you love someone, they will tell you all their secrets. Hmm? And we, we, we smile, we know it's true. <laughs> right? hmm. If we love someone, yes, they'll tell us all their secrets. So with regard to the natural world, the objective world, hmm, today many people are concerned about its secrets. Hmm? According to the Gita, the secret of the natural world is that it has a soul, and it's us. Hmm? And that means that in human life, nature wakes up, if you will, to the fact that it has a soul. In other words, in the less complex forms of life, hmm, we can see consciousness in terms of perception, perception of pain hmm? or happiness, uh, avoidance of punishment and pursuit of reward and so forth. We can find, for example, in animal species. Hmm? But we don't find the same measure, at least we assume, and I think correctly, of self-consciousness. Hmm? We don't find, for example, an existential crisis that human life really consists of. Hmm? That's what it is. It's a huge question, and the question is, why? It's a qualitative question, a meaning question. Why? I feel there is meaning, value, purpose. I feel it. Hmm? The Gita says, you're feeling yourself. That hmm? in human life is coming to the fore, if you will, in a way that in the less complex forms of life it does not but when through that, the Gita's evolution, if you will, of consciousness hmm, through different species acquires the, the human vehicle, hmm, then it's like being kind of on parole, so to speak, hmm, from the confines of the, of the or the, uh, the uh, there's a kind of meanness, I want to say, to our lives, hmm, a kind of selfishness kind of unlovingness that our very material predicament fosters hmm? if we are consciousness as the Gita proposes which is a reasonable idea it's a reasonable idea because on the one hand it's universally intuitive in human society hmm? that there's a self up there or in here or somewhere a me an I that I exist hmm? There's another idea that I am American. I am a man. I am a woman. I am a student. I am a teacher. Hmm? Those are not enduring ideas. You understand? Hmm? 
those may, may change in a moment hmm? and be lost forever. Hmm? But that I am, that is another thing. That there is experiential existence. There's non-experiential existence. And then there's experiential existence. I often say that if there's anything that would be we could consider the most profound experience of our lives, it would be the fact that we experience. It makes us different from everything. And the best things in life, of course, are not things. Mm -hmm. Hmm? So, although we are such, hmm, as it's thought, and this is reasonable, I want to say, it's, 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 it's one thing, there are common sense things, there are soft common sense things and there are hard common sense things. Soft common sense things could be proven to have not been very good sense, but superstitious. It might be accepted by many people and so forth and so on. But hard common sense things are those that really they can't be denied without being illogical. So as I've already spoken, spoken reasonably speaking, to deny consciousness is very, it's very unreasonable. It requires, requires consciousness to engage in the act of such denial. It's a self-defeating, if you will, uh, venture from the beginning. Hmm? So intuitively we sense there's more. There's, there's more that meets the eye and the mind hmm, to our human life. Hmm? The Gita says, it's you. Hmm? We don't know it's me. It's us. Hmm? We look within matter for the more. We try to make matter matter more than it really does. Hmm? And so we're engaged in largely acquisition of things, hmm? kind of a taking, adding things to our life, another person, a relationship, uh, a place, a better place, um, <laughs> whatever it may be. We're kind of on the take, so to speak. It's not intentionally mean-spirited, I want to say. But taking, then, is different from giving, isn't it? Hmm? We have a perceived necessity in our present situation, hmm? identified with the objective world. Hmm? Because as we know, as we said earlier, objective things, things of the objective world are here today and gone tomorrow. So it appears we may be gone tomorrow. Hmm? So we have, a, we have a Darwinian struggle for existence that we're involved in. Hmm? We agree with him, that far at least. Hmm? Hmm? The Bhagavatam says, Jiva Jivasya Jivanam. Spinoza said, long before Darwin, the Hindus were evolutionists of some type, of some variety. Hmm? Jiva Jivasya Jivanam. One living being is food for another. Hmm? That's not a very friendly place to live. Hmm? When we take, then someone is coming to get get back, so to speak. As long as we're takers, we're hunters and hunted. Hmm? This is the animal side of life, and we are also animals. There's an animal side to us, hmm? right? There's the call of the wild, if you will, the call of the senses and the, and the uncontrolled mind. Hmm? Very troublesome. It's very common sense. I think it's universally accepted that it's better to control your mind and senses than not to. Hmm? 
This is all that yoga says. It's very simple. <laughs> Who can disagree with that? Hmm? Right? And arguably, the more your mind and senses are out of control, well, the more troublesome your life will be. It means the more, more animalistic, if you will, your life will be, so to speak. The more you, you will have perceived necessities, you'll be unfulfilled and you'll be on the hunt and you'll be hunted. Hmm? Very troublesome. And conversely, the more the mind and senses become subdued by someone, hmm? by the self, hmm? that then is allowed to rise up above the oppression of the mind, the oppression of the senses. Hmm? And the more one can live in a world of taking through acts of of giving, as long as, as much as we are being, have a perceived necessity due to our material identification, we have to take. As much as we take, then we owe. I owe, I owe, so they say, off to work I go. This is the, the karmic implications, uh, which takes us in ne- into negative numbers, if you will. The more you take, the more you owe. When you borrow money from the bank, you owe much more than what you borrowed, if you read the fine print. Hmm? So, What appears to be love hmm? in this world, we would say, the Gita says, a better shadow of that. Hmm? It's not wise love. Hmm? It's invariably caught up with taking. Hmm? I'm taking, I'm trying to preserve an identity hmm? that's not, that's on death row, so to speak. It's been sentenced. We have a cell and a sentence. Hmm. There's the embodiment and the time. Hmm. So, so yoga's for coming out from underneath that. Hmm. Hmm. Yoga's saying, yes, it, 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 it's, it's bad. it sounds bad, I know. <laughs> but it doesn't stop there, of course. It sounds very pessimistic at first, but so does, so does Darwinian uh, evolution and the idea that some people take from that, which I don't think is accurate to conclude that 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 that, uh, that consciousness, for example, is is reducible to matter, and which would mean there's no there's no meaning, nothing matters, and so forth. As we said, so so to, to the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita, they go on to say hmm, that that. There's a way, a kind of a systematic way, for stopping from from the taking, hmm? and it begins with knowing hmm? that you're not part of the objective world. You are the meaning, and you are the more that you sense life is about. Hmm? You won't find it by stretching matter and acquiring more of it, and uh, you know, like in human life, we we try to do it. birds fly high in the sky, they don't try to go under the water, not at any depth. And fish at the bottom of the sea don't try to fly in the sky, but we try to do both and everything else. Every other species does because we feel like we could be doing more or being more, that we are more. Hmm? According to the Gita, this is the self coming to the fore in human life and it's thinking about itself and it's asking why. What? What is the meaning? Why do I suffer? Why am I? Human life is a huge existential crisis, and the answer to this question
question, these kinds of questions, cannot come from the natural world. You understand? There are answers that can come from the natural world. If you ask how to eat, the natural world will answer you. If you ask how to protect yourself, every species has a system built in, right? It's answered by the natural world. No species, except ourselves, of course, is confused about how to mate. Hmm? Or how to sleep. These things are answered by nature. They're not, they, they seem to be loom as large questions for us, the more complex forms of life, but only because we don't pay attention to the why question. Because that question has not become pressing enough hmm, to consume all of our attention, hmm, such that the how questions become very small, hmm, easy to meet. Hmm. Because when we pursue the why question, why am I? What is the meaning? What is the value? Why am I existing? I know that I exist. I exist. I know that I exist. So I'm a unit of existence. And I'm a unit of enduring existence. Because if I'm not reducible to matter, as we're theorizing, which is intuitive, common sense, there's reason to support it. There's no science to dismiss it. There's experience of mystics that make it credible, the theory. They live largely without, whether it be on a rudimentary level, without a TV. Some people say, how can you live without a TV? Yeah. Or they live in a cave, breathing only once a month or something. Practically speaking, <laughs> practically speaking, they're demonstrating that consciousness is independent of matter. And it's... and. The more it realizes it, the happier it becomes, the more fulfilled it becomes. It can just sit in the cave. Hmm? He's not bored. He's happy. Hmm? So, <laughs> so hmm, to go in this direction, hmm, the more that we are, hmm, this is what the Gita presents to invites us, very optimistic possibility. Hmm? And, and it gives a system for doing that. And really what it is, what it amounts to is a culture of a refining of our loving propensity. We exist. Hmm? And if we exist as a unit of experiential reality, means a knowing reality, a cognizant reality, we exist, we know that we exist. We don't know the extent to, we to which we exist. We're talking about that now. If we knew, that would be the end of all fear, end of all anxiety. But we should know theoretically that will give us impetus to put in place those things by which we can know experientially the extent to which we exist. Hmm? I am a unit. We are a unit of experiential reality. Hmm? Matter is non-experiential. We're a unit of meaning. We give meaning to matter. All material things are confined by time and space. Consciousness, as we said, cannot be defined, really, because there's nothing to compare it to. You understand? We define by making comparisons. It's not like anything that's non-experiential. It's experiential. Hmm? The argument here is that consciousness is not matter, and that means that consciousness is not confined by time and space, like matter is. That means we exist. We've always existed. There will never be a time when we don't exist. And now we know that we exist in human life. So we exist, we know that we exist. We're a unit of being, a unit of knowing. And what is our purpose? It would appear that our purpose is loving. Hmm? 
but we're going about it in a way that's very kind of backwards, in, in a sense. Hmm? We're confused because we are identified with matter. Hmm? So we're trying to find the more, the more really the real meaning, the real value hmm, is love. We are a unit of love. Knowing, being, knowing, loving, we say, Satchit Ananda. And so, such is the nature of our source as well. Hmm? There can be an existence that is not knowing. But there cannot be a knowing that does not exist. Hmm? There can be a knowing existence that does not love, but there cannot be a loving existence that does not know and does not exist. So all these three elements, being, knowing, loving. The loving includes the being, includes the knowing, gives meaning to both. So we live, we know that we live, hmm? and we live for the meaning, hmm? which is to love. And the nature of our source is, well, similar. Hmm? It's being, knowing, and loving. And the Gita hmm? and Bhakti focuses on the loving aspect of the Absolute. Hmm? By way of contrast, it speaks about a path of knowing. A path of knowing as opposed to a path of loving. In the path of knowing, the idea will be to love to exist. Not a bad idea. We would like to exist forever, happily. Hmm? But is it better? You, I mean, it's not. It's an easy question. Which is preferable, to love to exist or to exist to love? Would you rather love to exist or exist to love? You have to be mean to choose the first. <laughs> to love to, to exist to love sounds a little more charming, a little more... It sounds more noble, hmm? doesn't it? It sounds more divine. But loving to exist can also be divine. But is it the full measure of divinity? This is the question. So here I want to very briefly, before I conclude, differentiate between a path of knowing and a path of loving. Hmm? If we know, welcome, theoretically, hmm, that I'm a unit of consciousness, I'm identified with matter, hmm, this is problematic. I am, but I think I am American. I'm a man. I am a woman. Hmm? I am, but I'm not a man. I am, but I'm not a woman. I am, but I'm not a Hindu. I am, but I'm not a Catholic. But I am, that's for sure. That's not going away. Bertrand Russell, in his famous paper, The Nature of Matter, in the 20s, said, after analyzing matter, he said, all we really know is our own consciousness, whatever that means. Hmm? We know that we are. Hmm? And we can't prove it. Try it. <laughs> you can't prove it. It's just a subjective experience that I am. You can't demonstrate it. But again, we get up every day as if we... We exist, so to, do we have to demonstrate everything objectively when something, for that matter, is not part of the objective world and it's us? Consciousness? So if we know these things, theoretically, if we have good sangha, hmm? good association, we're such ideas, uh, thoughtful ideas. Uh, the Gita is about experiential spiritual life. It's not about, for example, religion. It's, it's very, it's, it's, indeed, it's a prerequisite to tread the path of bhakti in the Gita, to give up religion. Hmm? Very forcefully, it says, 
Sarvadharman Prithaja Mamekam Saranam Braja. What will be your moral compass then? Whatever is favorable for my spiritual culture, I will do. Whatever is not favorable, I will reject. Whatever is favorable for loving my source, I will accept that. Whatever is unfavorable, I will reject. Otherwise, moral arguments, they are unlimited. You, know, you may have ever had a course in moral philosophy or something. You know. Bhishma Dev, famous Mahajan of of the sacred text of India said, the more you grind two stones together, the finer the dust you get, so it is with the discussions of morality. Mm-hmm. 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 So, Gita wants to begin where that leaves. That's a problem, the whole thing anyway. Hmm? And really to be truly good hmm, requires rising above the limitations of the human experience, rising above our animality, through the vehicle of our humanity and experiencing our spirituality. Hmm? So, we are troubled in our present condition by the demands of our senses and body, by the mind, the oppression, if you will. It's kind of oppressive. You know, you're hungry, so you eat. The stomach is full, but the tongue insists on eating more. Hmm? This is the problem. Hmm? We're being pulled by our senses, by our mind. It's rather... Oppressive, hmm? yeah. and so we we feel we're struggling. So we're taking, we're we're, we're fighting, really. Hmm? And we've identified with the objective world. So we think the more will be from more things to one extent or another. And there's only so many things. So we're at, at odds with one another. Hmm? This is the animal side of us. So we reason like this, and then now we want to come out of that. So if we want to come out of that, well, stop taking. This is one path. Stop taking. And for that matter, if you're full, if you're content, why move? We are moving out of a perceived necessity. Hmm? But you're a unit of being, knowing, loving. So hmm? you're trying to be, trying to know, trying to love, but you're a unit of being, knowing, and loving. Whatever that means. It's rather abstract, but... hmm? So some may reason and reason well that if I'm if I'm full, as I say, then then why move? Hmm? And that the sum and substance of spiritual life will be to stop moving in relation to things that don't endure while in pursuit of enduring life. Hmm? That makes sense. Hmm? That's knowledge. The corollary that means to say of knowledge is detachment. The Buddha said well, I'll say it as the Gita says. What does it say? It says that dukkha yonaya the that the the womb hmm, from which suffering is born is attachment to things. That's why death is a problem, because you can't take it with you, right? If you don't have any such attachment, then what is the problem? (laughs) Hmm? And if you don't have attachment to anything, you do not have an identity that's based on a sense that something is mine, when nothing is yours. Do you follow me? We have an I that's informed by our sense of my, which is illusory. Nothing is ours. That I will not endure. Hmm? Hmm? That's William James's me. 
as opposed to I, I exist. That's in a higher sense. Hmm? We can come to that, that I exist, in the, in the full experience of that, by not identifying with an I that's a product of my, my. Hmm? Two little words, letters, my, it's a big problem. <laughs> the I that comes from that is very a beast, really. Hmm? Not, not, cannot be fully kind, although we try. Hmm? We try to be kind, hmm? but to be kind, you have to come out from underneath this oppression of the mind and the senses. Otherwise, how can you give fully when their demands are being placed upon you? Hmm? Hmm? And love is about giving. So some people reason, and they reason well, that we should stop taking. That's knowledge, detachment. So now go home, stop taking. Hmm? Stop taking and stop thinking too. Thought is a problem. Hmm? That's not very easy to do, is it? Hmm? But if you could do it, hmm? then you could exist hmm? in an enduring sense of I, and that would be a big relief. I exist, I know it. Hmm? I feel content. Shanti, 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 peace. But for my generation, it was not just peace, but peace and love. Mm-hmm. So, love is another thing. Peace is one thing. To end the struggle hmm, with our animality. Hmm, to rise above that through wisdom hmm, and rest peacefully and love to exist. I love it. I exist. Hmm. I, even, I, I know it. I will never die. I have no anxiety. Imagine that. No, I'm, I'm not... You know, you go to a social gathering, how's it going to work? How, what about what I look? All, on so many levels, hmm? besides just what will I eat in the animal kingdom, we are troubled by so much anxiety to end all of that. Now draining that, how, what a, what a, I mean, the life from about 24, 17 dreams, we're troubled by this. To end all that, hmm? this is what we're talking to, end it all forever. That is an existence you might love compared to the one that you have. Hmm? Yeah. But to get there, you have to give everything up. That means you will arrive there alone. Hmm? Right? And to be alone and to love to exist hmm, in a meaningful way is one thing, but love really requires another for it to be fully expressed and experienced. That other cannot be of this world of matter because we've already given that up. There must be a consciousness other. If we are a unit of love, hmm, and love is our purpose and being ultimately, hmm, then if we learn that we that w- what we are as a unit of consciousness, we know that we exist, and now we are to pursue love, we have to find a consciousness significant other, if you will. Hmm? Hmm. And that is what we mean when we say Krishna. Hmm? That is the meaning. All attractive. Hmm? A loving existence that is a byproduct, a, a loving reality that is a byproduct, knows and exists. If you know anything about Krishna, you think the loving is big, the knowing is small, actually. The existence is small. Have you ever seen a picture of Krishna? He lives in a village. It's very small. Hmm? They don't know very much there. Hmm? The existence is small, or by appearance. The knowing is small, indeed. Krishna does not know himself, that he's God. Krishna is God in existential crisis. That is the real crisis for us. 
We think God will solve our existential crisis, but we find that he has existential crisis. Hmm? Very human-like, very, very friendly uh, idea, if you will, of our source. Hmm? Very easy to make uh, some, uh, to, to feel attracted to, make union with, have union with, easy to love. How do you love a person who has everything? The idea of the absolute as Krishna is omniscience is a problem. The absolute is all-knowing. What's the problem with all-knowing? It's boring. That's the problem. What will you do if you know everything? If you know everything, you, you can't even move. Hmm? Brahman is all-knowing and everywhere it can't move. If you're everywhere, how can you move? If you know everything, how can you move? Hmm? When we speak of Krishna, we speak of the absolute solving its own problem of omniscience by playing, that we call Leela, hmm? to play. Hmm? And when absolute plays in Leela, then the absolute makes it, 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 it inadvertently makes itself accessible to us hmm? in a way that we can love hmm? like we're kind of no we should love, like we try to love in this world. You understand? Like a friend, like a lover. Hmm? If the finite is to come close to the infinite, the infinite has to take a finite-like appearance. Hmm? Otherwise, how can there be intimacy? If I was God, and of course I'm not, but if I said I'm God and you believe me, you might go, oh, my God. <laughs> so, I, so that's a problem. Hmm? So when we talk about Krishna... In the Gita, of course, Krishna is speaking about himself. He's saying, I am the, I am the absolute. I am the source of, of all consciousness. Hmm? It's a very charming idea if you play it out. And if you play it out, you see that what that idea is about is not stopping with loving to exist, but existing to love. There's something to do in transcendence. Hmm? And it's to love. Hmm? And who? A conscious, as I say, a significant consciousness other. Hmm? And on what terms? Very friendly terms. On very intimate terms. Love just like you would love a friend. Just like you would love a lover. With that, it gives this kind of example. That, with that kind of intensity. Hmm? Not because you should love. You love. You understand? Hmm? They are lost there. Hmm? The existential question is, 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 is of ours is resolved by trying to foster to the existential crisis of Krishna. So bhakti is this path of love that the absolute, the source, our consciousness source, becomes overwhelmed by, hmm? which very easily as a byproduct removes the illusion of our present taking condition. So by giving, we can stop taking. By trying to stop taking, we only have half of the face of love. Do you understand? Stopping from taking is not the full face of giving. Hmm? So in bhakti yoga, we learn to give, hmm? and naturally we stop taking. Hmm? So naturally we come to know the extent to which we exist, but we don't get waylaid there, so to speak. We can pursue deeply within consciousness. We don't stop. There's a difference between consciousness and matter, the subjective and objective world. Very abstract, but yes, I kind of like that. I kind of get my head around that. Kind of, yeah. 
Uh, it's, it's understandable. That's what it's like. Hmm? We're absorbed in the objective world. We start talking about ourselves. We're very different. Hmm? But to go, not only to, just to, to realize the difference between matter and consciousness, this would be the 101 of real spiritual life. We want to go to 108, something like that. Hmm? Hmm? And what is the consciousness of consciousness? This is what we mean by Krishna. This is the ideal of bhakti. So, thank you. Yes. So, if um, Krishna, in his in the form that he's taken as Krishna, is not omniscient, um, then is that to say that there is some version out there that is even more absolute because it's more omniscient? Mm-hmm. When we say that Krishna is not not omniscient, we mean that <clears throat> that with the background of Krishna's omniscience in place. He moves from there under the influence of bhakti, of love, to a condition that is more knowing than omniscience, not less knowing. That divine ignorance that is a result of love is not less knowing, it's more knowing. Because what is the value of knowing? Only as much as it's making us happy. Right. Otherwise, who cares what you know? Right. The only we we want to we want to know so that our actions will be informed, such that by acting we'll become happy. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, really, the 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 the, the lila of Krishna, where he thinks, I am the son of Jashoda, for example. If you know something about. That, that that is kind of a more knowing, hmm? and and so he has these two sides to him, omniscience, and then the omniscient kind of bewilderment by love, hmm? but the bewilderment by love is really kind of a more, and the omniscience is, isn't entirely gone. And how do we answer that? How do we explain that? For example, while Krishna is lost hmm, in wondering if Radha still loves him, hmm? he's like. Picking a clover, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me. And his friend Subal will say, Radhe, in his ear. Oh, it's okay, she loves you. This is Leela. That requires a whole other lecture. But, but uh, when that's happening, at the same time, someone here is praying to Krishna. Hmm? So that his omniscience can hear those prayers. But they should be pretty sincere to get his attention <laughs> from that situation. You see? Mm-hmm. So it's operative hmm? here and inoperative in that situation. Does that help? Yes. Thank yeah. You. Good question. Yes? Um, what is love? I. You're really expecting, you know, that we're going to give the one sentence answer to that. No, <laughs> that's no, Yeah. When I, I, I you mentioned earlier that loving requires an other. Yeah. Uh, yet, if we are all, if Krishna is all encompassing, and we are all a part of Krishna, mm-hmm. how, what, what other is there to love? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing about that, first of all, about love, 
I think that we want to say that um, love uh, is um, about giving. So let's define love in brief as giving. Mm-hmm. And then giving without expectation of return, right? Mm-hmm. And um, in which then we find that the giving is the receiving, right? Mm-hmm. We find that when we give, we grow. To the extent that we give without attachment to getting, and we give to someone who can actually take, hmm, we find that we we gain, we grow. We don't have something to hold up and say, see, I got it. I gave, and now I have this. But people look at you and go, there's more to that guy. Hmm? And you feel more. The self contracts by taking, and it expands by giving. Just like, you know, you live in... Virginia, let's say, and then you decide to become go into politics is a bad example, but let's say it used to be like this. I guess maybe Jefferson used to think like this. I'll go into politics and I will serve the nation. I've identified with the nation. Hmm? So I'm going to sacrifice my some of my provincial concerns for my family and I'm going to rise to the occasion of the need of the nation. So he's he's starting to give in a bigger way and his sense of self is expanding, and then all the people are electing him, and they say, he's bigger, he's bigger than us. He's like, he's ready to do more for the, you know, think not what you can do for your, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country kind of a thing. So taking this to the, to the nth degree, if you will, playing this common sense, universally accepted idea out is what we talk about when we talk about bhakti and love, pure love. Pure love. So now your question is, if love requires another, hmm? love requires two things hmm? and one thing. Yeah. Love is very tricky. It does knows no reason, right? So don't don't be surprised if you get a very confusing answer. Hmm? <laughs> In other words, love is about becoming one with another. Hmm? If you and I are in love you and I become we. Right? We say, we did this, we did that, we are coming here, we'll be over later. Um, So you and I become, we means you're still there, I'm still there. But it's a kind of a dynamic unity. We became one, it didn't mean you disappeared and I disappeared or only one of us stayed. Hmm? It's a dynamic unity. The two are there. I take your heart for mine, you take my heart for yours. Your desires are mine, my desires are yours. We can live together. Hmm? No problem. I'm always working to fulfill your desires, make you happy. You're always working to make me happy. We're both happy. <laughs> so what I'm saying here is that love is two, requires two, requires the two becoming one, hmm? and in a dynamic sense. Hmm? Also, to go back to the two idea, I think that... that love will be graded, if you will, or valued on a scale which determines the measure of reciprocation. Hmm? Um, you know, I could say, I love you, we love one another, but look, I like to stay up late, you like to go to bed early, you know, you like to play that music, I like to play this music, so let's make some rules. We'll write them on the wall, you agree, I agree, we'll still stay together. You know, 
So that's kind of like, okay, it's breaking down a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> but there's still some love there. <laughs> you know, we're working it out. Kind of. so, so, but metaphysically speaking, the idea in bhakti is that, that there are two perspectives, bed abed. Hmm? So the absolute reality, ultimate reality, is one and different at the same time. It's like, let's say this, it sounds tautological, but being exists. Being exists. Um, okay, there's a power, if you will, hmm, by which being exists and makes itself intelligible. Hmm? Hmm. We call that shakti. Hmm? So we say the, the ultimate reality is possessed of shakti. Hmm? Potent, there's like potent and potency. Let's take fire. It, has, it consists of heat and light. Heat and light are fire. Heat and light are the potency of fire. You kind of, they're like one and they're kind of different at the same time, right? There's heat, there's light, and there's fire, but you can't have fire without heat and light. Hmm? So, with regard to ultimate reality, it's dynamic, hmm? the energetic source, because it has energy. Hmm? So we are of the nature of the energy, of the energetic source. Hmm? So the energy and the energetic source, or in Sanskrit, the shakti and the shaktiman, the potency and the potent, the potent and the potency. Anything that's potent has potency. I mean. Are they one or are they different? I mean, they are both at the, at the same time. Hmm? So, um, so as as a as kind of a being constituted of the of the one of the potencies of God, we have no existence that's independent of the absolute. Hmm? But at the same time, that we have no independent existence, we have an existence that is can be looked at as different. At the same time, it can be looked at as non-dual hmm? or one. Hmm? So this possibility, this interplay, makes for this kind of union of love that we're talking about, the, the interrelationship between potency and potent, between shakti and shaktiman. Go ahead. Oh, I, I, think I, I think I've lost the words. That I... Okay. Okay, it's a complex, you know, metaphysical okay, uh, discussion, but yeah, between perception of a difference and realization that there is no difference. Yeah. Uh, if you drop the entire perception that there is a difference, is it still said to be love, or can it be said to be something else entirely? I think it 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 it's it's um, it's a uh, it's. It's, um, I would say it's like I gave the example of not, is not taking, not taking is part of giving, right? But it's not the full face of giving. Hmm? So I would say if you, if you do away with it, any, any difference, hmm, then you have an existence that is kind of very abstract, kind of love that is not very similar to anything we know as love, but as long as it's not taking, because it doesn't perceive any other, 
to take from. Well, I guess you could say some, some kind of love. Hmm? It certainly rises above the provincial kind of love we have, which is really only a shadow of real love that you know, involves taking because I have desires and that's why I, you know, I'm having a relationship with you because that, that, you know, I need fulfillment or I feel that I do. Hmm? That such a person could have universal kind of compassion could loom very large comparatively. But we're making another comparison on another side. You follow? Hmm? Beyond that. Hmm? Let's say compassion. Well, you can only have compassion for those who are you know, less than you. Hmm? So, if there's no other, then you can't even do that. So, something like that. Hmm? Yes? Uh, I'm very new to this, but it's... I'm pretty new myself. But, uh, <laughs> it's, a, so, it's a long trip. If loving is giving... Yeah. Then, could you explain what more taking is? Because I feel like if you're not willing to take, how can you give someone else the opportunity to love? Right, right. Well, that's another thing. Hmm? Giving and receiving sounds a little better than giving and taking. <laughs> receiving is different than taking, right? Receiving is different than taking. So, if you want to be loving, hmm? then you have to be willing to receive the love of others. But you can't really take the love of others because love is voluntary. Hmm? So there's a dip when I say taking, I'm talking about something different. Hmm? Pardon me? What is taking? Well, taking means that, that, um, that, that you think, for example, that... Um, well, taking is... It requires that uh, taking arises out of a perceived necessity. Hmm? Acquisition. Let's call it acquisition. Hmm? We are acquiring things. And we tend to think that by acquiring things, we will be happy. I mean, there's a lot of advertisers that would like us to think like that. If you acquire just this one more thing, or just another thing, or just tweak this one more thing a little bit more. I mean, this is modern consumerism, right? And, and this is, and and um, but it's not just a modern thing either. But um, but in the modern society, it's it's certainly uh, uh, emphasized, <laughs> let us say. Hmm? So the all we really want to do is to exist, to know, and to love. Hmm? I think if you really look at what you're really pursuing, you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to die, you want to exist. You, you, want to, you want to be knowing, you don't want to be in ignorance, and you want to be happy. Hmm? Right? So the question is, by acquiring will that things, will that occur? And to what extent? And the, the answer, from my own point of view, is it might occur in appearance, but ultimately it won't. Because if you, let's say you acquire something, you take something, let's say you like it. What if I say to you, listen, attachment to things is a source of suffering. And you say, well, Swami, I like the things I've got. How about that? <laughs> you know? I happen to like the things I've got, and they make me happy. Then I say to you, well, what's your name? Munkush. Munkush, you can't keep them. 
Those things that make you happy, you can't keep them. Now, how happy are they making you? Exactly. The more happy they make you, the more you're going to suffer because the reality is you can't keep them. So this, this is what I mean by taking, a life of acquisition, which, which, which covers us from the fact that we are a unit of being, knowing and loving. We don't need things. They're, getting, they're cluttering it. They're getting in the way. Hmm? Okay. What about people? People are nice, some of them. <laughs> You're all nice. Hmm? If you like, um, it depends. If you see people as things, then, and most of us do, we objectify people. What is a people? <laughs> what is a person? We're talking about that. What is an entity? What are we? Are we American? Are we man? Are we woman? Hmm? That we say we say actually no, we're not. So we want to. So if you understand those points, if we come to those points, we're really in a better position to love people because we, without that, we're not seeing a person for what they are. We're seeing people for what we in our the world of our mind. See, we have an an identity that's based on our attachments. Like I said, my my informs my I. I think this is my country. So I am an American. Hmm? I am a student because hmm? this is my university or, or whatever. Hmm? Um, and and um, and that's uh, you know well it's 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 uh, it's illusory. It's it's it, it, then then inside my mind I get impressions from my senses and I think this is hot, this is cold, this is happy, this is sad, this is good, this is bad. What's the problem with that? Your happies may be my sads, your goods may be my bads, your hots may be my colds. Which is it? Is it good, bad, happy, sad, hot, or cold, or is that just something in your mind? gathered by your senses, which are imperfect instruments for perceiving the nature of being. Then you've got this world of, in the, I like this, I don't like that. This is good, this is bad, and that's who I am. If I don't like this, then that defines something about me. If I like this, that also defines me. Oh, I know him, he likes that. Hmm? Oh, I know her, she doesn't like that. Hmm? So all our... Likes and dislikes, goods and bads and happiness and sads, all our attachments form an I. And then based on that sense of what I am, hmm, I interact with other people. I live in this world of my mind and I hope everybody else would be happy living in it with me. Although I'm not happy living in it. It does not making me happy, but I think everyone should live in my mind. Hmm? Or I more or less conduct myself in that way or find myself conducting myself in that way and think I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> so, so this is a small world of the mind. Yoga means for coming out of the mind, the small world of the mind, and seeing how small you are because you only feel big because you're in a small world of your mind. <laughs> you feel big and important. Hmm? And then you relate to other people on that basis of that misperception. And so inevitably, we tend to abuse people and things. We see them only for our conceived purposes to one extent or another. We try to iron that out psychologically, which is a good idea. Hmm? But we have to do more than psychologically iron it out to be a real lover in the full sense, but to rise above the whole world of the mind. Hmm? So we should, we should do some psychology and, be, and get a good balance in life because we, our task is to jump up and touch the stars, and you don't want to start on one foot. Hmm? Right?
So for vertical growth, it requires some horizontal development too. Hmm? Bring them together. Hmm? This is what the Gita's idea of, of balance is. So people are good. Hmm? You're pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like you. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. I'll be around. Nobody's going anywhere. We're all here forever. (laughs) Thank you very much.